Welcome to Unboard, unplugged, unscripted board leadership. A conversation between boardroom leaders that covers leadership, priorities, and influence. Now, here's Brian Hayward. Welcome to Unboard. I'm today I'm with Garth Manis, who has a long history working with cooperatives, credit unions, and the like. As, as I like to do is uh, tell uh, the world what it is uh, about you. Who's Garth? Hey, Brian. Well, uh, thanks for asking me to participate in this with you. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just completing a 50 year career, um, but not all in the, in the cooperative world. Um, but one that has looked at a, a number of different types of governance, governance structures. So I actually, uh, started with governance, government and have worked for crown corporations and quasi crown corporations. I have a little bit of knowledge about how crown corporations function. Um, but over the last 22 years, I've worked for credit and central of Manitoba and, uh, uh, the credit and system, of course, is made up of cooperative financial institutions and uh, a very democratic form of uh, of governance uh, that um, has been extremely interesting for me to work through uh, and to understand and to actually make work effectively so that we can, you know, provide the services we need to provide to our uh, our tier one members is what I'd call them. Okay. Was there something about cooperative governance that was attractive to you or you know, people ask me about my career and it's, it was more almost like a random number generator where something came along and, and I decided to try it. And, and then the next thing, but it, was it something that, that motivated you, the, the democratic governance system itself? And not, not specifically, uh, you know, to be frank, I was, I was intrigued about financial services. And so okay. when I had this opportunity, I, I was actually coming out of uh, my first career, which was in the lottery and gaming industry, which, which <laughs> was the, you know, crown corporations um, and decided I wanted a completely different um, experience. Uh, this was an opportunity that was there at the time with Credit Union Central of Manitoba. So interested in financial services came into it, didn't appreciate the cooperative structure, the democratic structure coming into it. You know, strangely enough, I said, I think when I was initially interviewed, I'm, I see myself as a cooperative guy. So I think this would be a good uh, industry to work in. But once I've got into it, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been, uh, you know, it's a grassroots run business. That's what cooperatives are. Uh, and I think that um, it, those can run very effectively if you can, I would say, manage the model. Yeah. And, it, and you know, what's interesting about it is, is I was thinking about it before we start talking is that it seems to me sometimes that co-ops start out of necessity because, you know, let's say there's a bunch of people and they move from, you know, a disadvantaged part of Europe and they've got cheap land and making a new home, but um, they need their neighbors and friends to work together with them in order to create, uh, you know, take care of each other more or less. Um, but once, once co-ops get a little bit bigger, they, they have a tendency to fail or flounder. And, and I, I sort of, wonder is the model itself applicable to sort of a, a level of societal development um and 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 then once it gets you you know you're competing against 
companies that are publicly traded that it's it's difficult. I don't, does that make any sense? It makes sense, but they don't need to flounder. Um, so that's sort of my perspective uh, that I've gained over the years. I've worked here um, because you're certainly right in terms of of how cooperatives and how credit unions started. It started in the 30s uh, in Manitoba. I mean, if you go back to Desjardins, we're over 100 years old. But if you if you look at Manitoba, the cooperative movement, uh, credit union movement is about 75 years old. And it started because um, primarily, um, well, I'd say the farm community, but it's actually broader than the farm community. People are not able to get the financing they needed uh, out of the larger banks, and therefore they couldn't do what they needed to do either on a business side or a personal side. Uh, and so, you know, people came together to form cooperatives to help each other out. You know, I deposit some money and you borrow it and you can do what you need to do and I get some return on my savings. And so have the, the credit unions flourished uh, initially um, but also developed, you know, I would say with not the strongest business acumen that they should have. Um, but as time moved on, uh, the, the skill set of the management group, uh, the understanding of what it was going to take to be able to serve members and the loyalty of members to that cooperative, because that cooperative has helped those members survive in their tough times. So very loyal. Uh, and the challenge of, of credit unions, cooperatives uh, over the last 20 years has been what you've said, is you have to find a way to be competitive in terms of service offerings uh, to, to your members when they have lots of other options. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am the very nature that cooperatives are service-based, not profit-based, that they generate their profits in order to provide service as opposed to providing service to generate profits, um, I think allows well-run cooperatives to be able to be competitive in a in an environment where people can access all sorts of services very easily and very readily. Um, we believe that um, that credit unions can continue to be to cooperate, continue to be competitive through the years. They need to follow one of the core principles of cooperatives, and that's to cooperate among cooperatives. Scale will always be required, but that (laughs) scale comes through cooperating in, I would say, areas like investments in technology and those sorts of things, but it can happen. It's interesting because, you know, whether it's credit unions or whether it's grain co-ops or or there's also, uh, it strikes me, uh, thinking about it, uh, that there's a, a reluctance for credit unions to merge to get economy and scale or for, for, for other forms of agriculture co-ops. The, they're, they're the management people uh, kind of muck it up sometimes, I think, because they do, they, they're, maybe it's too harsh to say they're, they're entrenched and they don't want to be taken over. Um, it, 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 you know, is it is are, are there people or are there co-ops that really believe what you're saying that that we need to cooperate? I guess there are, but is it more common to see co-ops that are protective? So self-interest plays a role in everything, right? And and I think the fact that the 
you know, the very nature of a financial cooperative or credit union is that independent credit unions build their own strategy and are their own decision makers. So nobody's going to tell them that they should merge with each other to create scale. They have to come to that on their own and say, that's the best strategy for us moving forward. Um, but is it happening? Absolutely. I mean, I can, so I've been in this, uh, in this role for 22 years. And when I started, there were 67 credit unions in Manitoba. And we had just under $5 billion in assets. And today we have a recent merger that's just been approved. We'll have 21 credit unions as of January 1st, 2022. Uh, and we're like $38 billion in assets. Um, and the, the credit unions understand that in order to be able to move forward with things like payments modernization, which is regulations that are coming out of the federal government on, on payment services to, to the public, and in our case, to members, we have to create scale to be able to afford those investments. We don't have the money that our, the big banks have in terms of investing in technology, but we do believe we can invest smartly in technology through scale and we can actually compete. And so that's what we're doing. There's no question credit unions are seeing the need and the value to come together. It's not driven by members though, or, or what you call tier one members. Is it, is it the boards that are driving or the management and what's what's the role of the board there? Should should the boards of credit unions be saying, like you know, asking their management teams, what are we doing to consolidate? What are we doing to get efficient? Well, the role of the boards, of course, just like any other organization, is to represent the shareholders, and the shareholders in this case are the members. Um, so boards need to be constantly asking their management teams, what is it that we need to do to make sure that we are meeting the needs of our members, um, and that's where the focus needs to be. And if, in fact, in order to meet the needs of the members, you have to be able to provide the best digital banking option that is out there, uh, then management has to figure out how do we accomplish that, mm -hmm. and. You know, we can't, let's use our, our province as an example, uh, 21 credit units, we can't reinvest 21 times in, in building new uh, digital technologies uh, and hope to be able to compete with, uh, with, with other financial institutions. So boards need to make sure, in my mind, um, that they are constantly asking management to show them what it's going to take to be competitive in this environment. And, and management, um, if they believe the solution only comes through scale and mergers, that's what they need to be recommending. And boards need to understand, in my mind, that that's a risk for management, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a risk for management to put forward a proposition that could do them out of a job. Um, but it's, the, it's a risk for board members as well, because in my situation that I, I was familiar with because I was uh, deeply involved in it, there were board members who were very reluctant to pursue the merger because they could, they, they wanted to be uh, continue on in, in, in their governance role. So that there, and it became a, the socialization of it, which is what the lawyers even called it with the social issues. There was a big fight about about what the name of the resultant entity was going to be. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> Those are all key issues, right? And and yeah. I think you know you you raise a good point because um, board members, certainly in cooperatives, are the ones that tend to be the most connected to their communities, uh, and and you know the 
support of community as well as support of members is a big part of, of cooperatives. And in fact, it's been the development of those communities through the years that has helped those cooperatives be strong. And so, you know, this is when you get into representative government and representative governance. So, you know, person A is elected onto the board and probably given some direction to protect all the services in that community. Right on. Yeah. Um, but that's, that might be a cost structure that can't be maintained if you want to invest in new technology and move forward. So those are the challenges that, that I think exist in, in cooperatives. I, I loved one of the stories in your book where you talked about the, the two boards that were merging uh, and they were both going to, I think, provide five members to the new committee and yeah. it took an in-camera <laughs> meeting and a payment of $100,000 yeah. per director to actually make this thing work. I, you know, to me, um, a big part of any, of working through any issue is understanding the, uh, the real issues that exist. Right. Uh, and, and to, to somehow believe that those connections to community aren't going to influence what that director thinks is wrong. You have to find a way to prove to those directors, uh, this is a management's responsibility and for the directors to be able to comfortably say to the members in their community, this actually is in your best interest. We're going to get services to you. We could not get to you in any other way by doing this. Uh, and hopefully that is enough to allow those board members to feel comfortable to look at the entity as a whole, which of course is their ultimate responsibility, but tough to do in some of these, in, in some of these, um, I would say community driven um, election processes that get people on the board with their focus to be more, how do I protect the interest of my community versus how do I actually make a decision in the interest of this whole entity? Yeah. And, and, you know, modern governance, um, whether you, you know, the, if you go into the universities, whether Harvard or University of Toronto, wherever, yeah, the, 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 uh, the curriculum uh, heavily implies or, or teaches that we should be looking for a, a skills matrix and to get the requisite skills at the board in order to ask the right questions. And, and I've found that one of the flaws of the democratic governance process is that it is um, acutely uh, difficult <laughs> at times to get the right people. You know, if you, if you were going to get into, let's say to use an example where we are going to do digital banking, you might, you might say we should get an IT person, but the structure and the, and the governance model itself uh, doesn't really allow for recruiting an IT person. It's it's a bottom-up governance model, and usually it's because somebody's, you know, active in the community. They're curling or or, or something where their their visibility in the community is is what's you know gets them the votes. Is it? Do you see that as as a weakness or a strength? Because it's a bit of both. It, it's a bit of both. Um... And it needs to be recognized and managed. Um, let me make a couple of comments with respect to that. You know, one of the things that I've learned through my years of experience, and I've been a, I've been a, you know, the senior executive reporting to boards for 40 years. Um, and it's that the board is not expected to know what I know. Uh, in fact, it's part of my job to help educate the board in the areas that I think are important and the areas that they look for education. Um, I, I realize they come to the table with a different responsibility. 
And in a cooperative and a democratic system, part of that responsibility is to bring the sense of that, those ground level members to the board and to management to make sure that you hear what your quote shareholders are saying. So that's an important step. And that's what, that's what speaks to the value of having representatives from uh, the membership on the board. However, you're, you are correct when you talk about the need as, as the, I'll, I'll speak about the financial services sector becomes more and more complex. Um, the board needs to have advice at the board table that allows them to um, adjudicate the recommendations that are coming from management. Um, they need to do that. Uh, a perfect example would be our structure in the credit union system in Manitoba. So we, as I said, we had uh, initially when I came 67 um, credit unions and each of them appointed two delegates. So we had a, 134 delegates that were the supply pool for our board mm -hmm. because you had to be a delegate in order to be on the board. Okay. So, you know, when back in, in, when I started 20 years ago, we had ample supply and there were good, competent people who understood what it took to oversee a financial institution at that time. Well, times changed, you know, we've gone to 21 credit unions well, and until recently, we had two delegates per credit union, which meant we had a supply of 42 people to be able to fulfill the board, nine board positions. Now, we have, we have recently doubled the delegate pool to four. So we have now 84 people that are, that are in the mix. And, and but, do you reach into the, to the individual credit unions and, and suggest, let's say, to use the example, you know, do you know of anybody that has IT experience we, and please have them be the delegates? We are moving in that direction. Um, but what I wanted to say is that of those 84 people now, um, it is really hard to find the specific skill sets that would be required. So we just actually, the province has just recently passed legislation allowing us to appoint independent directors. Uh, and, and, okay, what, I didn't know that. and what that really is for us means that a person does not have to be a delegate for to come on to credit and central Manitoba's board. Now there's a maximum number that's allowed. I think it's 25% of the board are allowed to be that. But we've also, if you take this right down to the credit union level, um, a, a person needs to be a member uh, of a credit union to be appointed to that credit union board. And that legislation has also changed that requirement. So it does provide the opportunity to go out and find that level of expertise that's required to give the board the comfort that they're able to understand and adjudicate the decision, the, the recommendations that are coming from management. So it's a start. It's trying to balance those two, get the proper skill sets, but also maintain that representation from your membership or from our case, from our delegates uh, to be able to keep that um, cooperative philosophy and that democratic structure true. What's your take? Oh, you know, one of the, the, the solutions that uh, the United Grain Growers, it was Canada's first co-op looked at uh, after it, it uh, accessed public capital was that the board would actually have a governance committee and, and nominate a slate to the membership is that is that something that you think is ultimately might be it, the irony was is, is the individual that uh, they were recruiting was was a farmer who happened to also be a and a very experienced banker and the members didn't uh, endorse him as a as a candidate it was like there was a reaction how dare you tell me 
who my director should be. We're not, we don't like you being so arrogant. Yeah. I, I you know, I, we have made some movements um, to, uh, to the point where we have a nominating committee uh, of our board. Um, now I'm still talking about Credit and Central, which is the tier two cooperative here. We have a nominating committee of our board um, who will receive nominations from uh, our our peer groups, which is our district structure, our peer groups, uh, and will vet them against a competency matrix. Um, and we that that board that committee has the ability to reject nominees if they don't feel they meet the competency matrix. But the ultimate election still happens within uh, within the districts and the peer groups. Um, so so we protect the the ultimate. Um, philosophy of being a democratic structure and our board members are elected by uh, the delegates. Um, but we also exercise some, um, I would say, advice back to the peer groups to say, these are the types of people we need to make sure that we have an effective board. Part of this is explaining, I think, to the membership why a really good board is necessary for them, right? Yep. Um, because how do you represent their interests in this complex world that we're facing, certainly in our environment? Um, without having board members who are able to absorb, learn, and understand uh, exactly what their role is and how they need to protect the membership and the shareholders. Uh, and that can only be by, by having, you know, developing and having a full understanding of, of what the issues are. A big part of board governance is board training in these days. You know, uh, the ICD has done a good job. We've had many, many credit union people attend the ICD courses and, and learn what the responsibilities and, and how to know how to understand risk and what are the proper mitigators to risk all of these components that that come out of training uh, has been a big part of of the credit union system because we do have a lot of good people who may not have the 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 background in financial services that are required but we have a responsibility to train and develop them uh, and uh, and generally are doing a good job now at the credit union level um they have a much broader pool to draw from because of their membership and credit unions are doing they many credit unions, if not all have nominating committees and they go search into their memberships and they specifically mm -hmm. ask, um, ask for the right competencies. In fact, a number of boards will actually um, identify the candidates they support and they don't support even before election time, which some, which some members don't like. But uh, they're, they're doing it because they're saying we need to make sure that we have the right board here to be able to effectively oversee this organization. Yeah. We, we were talking at the beginning about credit unions floundering. In, in your experience, is there some common elements or commonalities and, and, and why credit, well, cooperatives generally fail or flounder? You know, we're we're not far down the street from Mountain Equipment Co-op uh, retail outlet, and, and they just went through a a, a bit of a problem. Um, and I guess they're not a co-op anymore. And are there I'm th signs that uh, you know? My my take on it is is that uh, democratic governance is 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 flawed when when dealing in situations where there's a, a paradigm shift in a marketplace um, where capital is required very quickly and that, that you, know, you can only get it from debt or equity and, and democratic co-ops and, and credit unions pay out 
patronage dividends. And so they, they don't really have an ability to, to IPO and go public necessarily. That's what, what drove United Grain Growers to go public because there was a big change in the, the nature of grain transportation and logistics in, in the prairies of, of Canada. Is, are, but are there, do you, do you see or detect any commonalities of when co-ops credit unions flounder? Well, access to capital is a big issue, right? It, it, because the, uh, as you said, the source of capital for source of capital for uh, cooperative enterprises retained earnings um, or or debt, uh, and and so when there's big investments required, uh, there are limited ways of accomplishing it, and that's of course why you need scale, and and that's why um, that's why you know, credit unions or cooperatives need to cooperate uh, to be able to find the funds that are needed to make the investments to move forward. And it's interesting because sometimes our greatest strengths are our Achilles heels. And so if you talk about the the concept of patronage and the payment back of retained earnings to keep your retained earnings levels low, then you are really removing your ability to make the investments that you need to make going forward. So, you, you know, you really need to be, um, have a very futuristic view to what's going to be required. Uh, and I think this is an, this is an important role for boards to play in cooperatives because the, the tension is short-term satisfaction by, by continuing to make your patronage payments. But in fact, the need may be to build up your reserves because you know you got investments coming down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I, I am not convinced, as you might tell, that credit unions cannot succeed and compete uh, with larger financial institutions, but they have to understand what it's going to take to be able to be effective and provide the services that are needed. And you know, this is this is where we talk about um, boards understanding what the strategy needs to look like uh, within that entity going forward, what the members are ultimately going to want. And, you know, we say, well, members won't necessarily be asking for all the services that come out of the entity. They're going to be driven by. Uh, by the leadership in the entity, I think that's what happens in most in most entities. It's that the leaders are the ones that are looking forward and thinking about what's the next level of service that's going to be asked for, and we need to be able to find a way to provide it. And I would say that's what you know the the folks and the leadership group in the credit union system are doing today, and and I trust that they can be successful at it. I mean, I think what what happens, you know, you understand the grain industry better than I do, but we certainly. We certainly have done some research on the pools and what happened to, you know, Manitoba pool, uh, Alberta pool, Sask pool, and all of the iterations that flowed out of there ultimately to Viterra. And, and, you know, one of the things that, that clearly did happen is when, is when capital became a core issue uh, and that capital that you needed to organizations needed to go, uh, to the markets, to IPOs, to bring in new investors, new equity owners, uh, then the cooperative spirit was lost, and eventually they changed into uh, into a different entity. Some successfully, and some not. Um, I'm not sure that. I, well, I believe currently that we do not have to do that to be successful, but we do have to make sure that we can find ways to cooperate with each other and make the best use of the dollars that we have. Um, and we have to be able to convince our membership that, um, that we are going to need to invest uh, in some of the, you know, 
new changes in technology uh, in some of the other areas to be able to be competitive with um, other financial services because the loyalty of that member to the cooperative um, is not such that they will accept an inferior product, an inferior service. You have to be competitive. And if you are, I think there's a lot about cooperatives in terms of purpose-driven organizations, which is you know, becoming a, a bigger and bigger part of society and a recognition that organizations have to have a bigger purpose than just creating a big bottom line. Um, this really fits in many ways into the cooperative uh, mindset that, that providing service uh, to, uh, through, a, through a credit union is more than just meeting the, the financial service needs of the member. It's also about supporting the communities yes. that those members are in. It's also about caring about society. It's also about um, caring about the environment that you live and work in. So I actually think the cooperative um, value set is really something that is consistent with where society is moving. We yeah. just now have to make sure that we can continue to be competitive on the service side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree from my own experience uh, and, uh, you know, having been chief executive of a co-op that transitioned into being uh, listed um, the intensity of, of, you know, uh, pressure to create profitability. Uh, it changed. And, and then some would probably argue that, you know, uh, Brian was just you know, sort of a mediocre manager, or whatever, and he couldn't couldn't uh, you know stand the heat in the kitchen uh, kind of thing. But the, there's, I, I I think the you know the other element of why co-ops flounder or, or can encounter trouble is if if they're in, engaged. It's not necessarily the case with with the financial services industry, but if you're in an, in a business where there's volatility. The, like ag, agri co-ops where mm -hmm. there's weather issues or there's embargoes or so other things that where, that where earnings can drop and, and you need to actually have a strategic board that can tolerate one or two years of substandard earnings without uh, freaking out, which isn't the case when you're listed, because if you miss a quarter, uh, then, then you, you get punished and you can get punished very uh, swiftly and in a very uh, mean way, even where people are fired or whatnot. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's true. I mean, I don't have the experience you have, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and I think there is a patience level that occurs um, within the cooperative, within the credit unions, if, if earnings are low. Um, the other, the other part of the equation is the regulators. Um, you know, we have, um, we have, you know, deposit guarantee corporation of Manitoba and a regulator in the, in the department of finance who do understand, um, the value of the credit union to the community and to the Manitoba economy and society generally. And although there are obviously profit targets, uh, and equity targets required, to make sure that depositors are protected because that's ultimately the, my, the, main, the main priority is to maintain trust in the system so the depositor is willing to put his money into that financial institution. Um, there is also a degree of patience that comes along with this when times are difficult uh, to make sure that every opportunity is provided to, to work yourself back into a, a positive, profitable per perspective. So I, I think we've got a... Um, a patient system from that perspective. Um, 
but we constantly need to have very good business principles uh, that are put into place so that we can effectively run these organizations like other financial institutions around. Great. So just, uh, you know, wrapping up, um, if, if given your experience and, and, and insight, um, if you, if you had uh, your Aladdin and you, or, or you, and, and you have one wish left for or one observation that you could say, you know, I think the, the cooperative or credit union system, if there's one thing I think I could um, wish for them in the future, what would that be? Well, I think, I, I think that um, the concept of um, member service first over production of profit um, philosophically makes sense. Um, and the fact that we have, we don't need to have the profit targets that, that other FIs would have should allow us some room to be able to offer services effectively and competitively. I would, I would like to see um, the, I would say credit unions in Manitoba uh, be able to build the scale that they can require to a certain level. It doesn't have to be anywhere near the size of the big banks, but to a certain level that allows them to have the investment they need to be competitive. And I'd obviously want to see that regulations are such that recognize the value of the credit union system, uh, not only to the public of Manitoba, but maybe more importantly to the economy of Manitoba. Mm -hmm. uh, and that the, the governments see the cooperative sector as an important contributor to the economic engine and make sure that, you know, tax laws and, and other laws are put in place that are reflective of that and help that organization be successful. That, that's what I'd like to see. Yeah. You know, my insight takeaway from this conversation is um, I hadn't really thought about it because a purpose driven organization that is, is actually with all of the focus on ESG lately um, that's really what's underneath it. Um, and, and so I, I've probably been a bit of a crit, critic of democratic governance over the years, but I think that observation, I think, um, is, is quite insightful. So, um, thank you for your time and, and your wisdom. Unplugged, unscripted board leadership. This is Unboard.